Good morning, church. Uh, thank you, Preston, for leading us. In Graham's absence this morning, I trust uh, many of you have heard that Graham and Bethany were uh, at the hospital most this week with their son, Luke, um, but they are back home and on the road to recovery, and we praise the Lord for His uh, sovereign protection and healing over uh, their son and strength uh, for their sweet family to persevere in the midst of uh, uh, a hard week. And so, so grateful uh, for uh, the, the body of Christ, of which uh, Preston has been a faithful part for uh, many years and, and could answer the phone call and the request uh, to, to stand in the gap and to lead us in song so well. So thank you, brother. Uh, uh, we will talk about uh, our, each of our places in uh, the body of Christ, each of us using our gifts uh, for His name's sake and for one another's edification uh, next week in, in the following passage of Romans. But this morning we're going to be looking at just two verses, uh, two verses in Romans chapter 12. That should give you hope uh, regarding our time together this morning. Romans chapter 12 I'm going to read verses 1 and 2, and I'm going to pause and ask for the Lord's help for all of us as we hear God's Word and for myself as I aim to proclaim God's Word faithfully. So Romans 12, verse 1, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Would you pray with me once more? Father, we bow before you our heads bowed, our hearts bowed, God asking uh, you to do something in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives that none of us can do on our own, according to the, these verses. God, we humbly bow because you are God and we are not. And may our posture, our physical posture, uh, be an outward representation of our inward posture, one of submission to You, one of um, obedience to You, as we have heard Your Word and aim to do what it says by presenting our bodies as living sacrifice to You, having been transformed from the inside out. And so, God, we ask that You would do that even now, as we've read Your Word, as I aim to explain and proclaim Your Word, I pray that those who have intentionally gathered here this morning uh, would not be distracted, uh, would give attention to, would even intentionally um, take notes or, or mark these things that they might reflect on them later this, this week. God, have Your way with us. Uh, may you increase and may we decrease. 
we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, I've had the privilege. Um, Preston saw in my bag this morning a book that I've been trying to read for months and months and months. Uh, I've carried another book uh, around for months and months and months as well, trying to read uh, that one. And at different times, I find moments um, to, to pick it up and read it. One of those is The Holiness of God, and it's written by a man named R.C. Sproul, who's been a, a great theologian of our day and age and has written many great works. I would encourage and commend this one to you. And the chapter I pulled out and read this week, he told a, uh, a story regarding uh, his mercy towards his students as a college professor. And uh, he told his students uh, that there was, you know, certain three papers due throughout the semester on these specific dates and that none would be accepted uh, late unless there was a, uh, you know, medical note given or some death in the family or, or something serious like that. And so uh, when he got to the day in which he gave the date of the, the, the paper that was due, uh, 75% of the students showed up with their paper, and 25% showed up um, begging for mercy, asking Dr. Sproul, please give us an extension with probably all of the excuses you could imagine uh, that day. And uh, being the professor of the class, he stated to them, I will show you mercy this time, but there won't be any mercy next time. Uh, to which, when that date came around, unfortunately, uh, more like 50% of the class showed up with their papers on time, and another 50% of the class, uh, maybe hearing about the mercy of Dr. Sproul the first time, and some of them having received the mercy of Dr. Sproul the first time, showed up thinking, he'll be merciful again. Surely, surely he'll show mercy, and in which he did. But under the threat of do not show up late next time or there won't be any mercy. And, and that, that last paper would have been worth you know, a significant amount of their grade on the end. And uh, as you can imagine, uh, on that last due date, more than the previous two showed up without their papers in hand, hoping for the mercy of God, uh, to which they did not receive uh, in that moment. Uh, he had been merciful, and, and there, is a, uh, there, there were two right responses to Dr. Sproul's mercy, and, and I think those reflect then to God's mercy. You know, having received the mercy of God at the first uh, due date, you would have thought that those individuals would have gone back and been so thankful that they would have been, begun starting that paper the very next day to, to have it ready. But so often as sinful human beings, we take advantage of the mercy that had been shown to us, and we begin to expect mercy. And we begin to uh, go beyond expecting mercy, demanding mercy, which some of his students did say, you owe us this. Well, how dare you not give us, you know, relieve, a reprieve on, on the due date of that? And we do this with the Lord. Um, those who have heard of the mercy of God, expect that the mercy of God will be there um, forever. 
we who have experienced the mercy of God ourselves ought to respond to the mercy of God in worship, in praise, in adoration, in a, a life devoted to Him, not, as Paul says back in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, where he says, Do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? We presume. We expect. We even at sometimes demand the kindness and the patience and the mercy of God. When the patience and the mercy and the kindness of God are meant to lead us to repentance, they're meant to lead us to worship. And so, even as Christians, we can have different responses to the mercy of God. And Paul has concluded his 11-chapter introduction to uh, these practical commands of what it means to follow after Jesus Christ. He spent 11 chapters um, diving deep and uncovering every facet of who God is, who we are, and what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, specifically concluding with the mercy of God. So if you're in Romans chapter 12, we could just go back just a few verses into chapter 11. We could look in verse 30 uh, of chapter 11. And there Paul as he's wrapping up these 11 chapters of, of theological truth and depth, he says, For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but have now received, what's the word? Mercy. Because of their disobedience, that was the Jews. He says, so they too, so the Jews have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience that He may have mercy on all, Jew or Gentile. Whoever would come to Him and, and repent and believe in Him, God would show mercy towards those individuals. And what is Paul's response to that mercy that is shown to anyone and everyone who repents and believes in him? Paul breaks out into song in, in chapter 11, verse 33 through 36. You, you may remember from being here several weeks ago, Oh, the depths and the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments! How inscrutable His ways! And he quotes from the Old Testament, For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? Listen, for from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Paul's first response to the mercy of God was this song of praise. And rightly so. When, when we have received the mercy of God, when our sins have been forgiven, uh, when God has brought us from death to life, 
we are made new. We are born again. And we utter thanks and praise to Him like we've never done before. We ought to, to praise. But our response to receiving the mercy of God, it goes beyond just singing songs. I don't know if you remember the passage that Preston opened uh, our call to worship from the book of Amos, but it was so well planned and so well read that, that God doesn't just want the songs on our lips. He wants a life devoted to Him and worship. And if Graham were here, I think he'd give me a, a hearty amen on this title, that worship is not just singing. Uh, when we're thinking about responding to God, having received His mercy, it goes beyond just singing songs. Yes, singing songs and worshiping and praising God is a huge part of uh, our response to receiving God's mercy. But it doesn't just stop there. It doesn't just stop on Sunday morning as we've gathered together as important as this time is to not only sing praise to the Lord, but to hear others um, in the congregation who are experiencing um, different seasons of life all coming together, being unified in our faith and singing praise um, to the Lord and hearing those voices around us. That, that is good. But worship is not just singing songs. Worship is a lifestyle uh, to which uh, Graham and Preston are very specific not to say, let's, let's worship together when we're singing. Let's sing together in worship to the Lord. It's a, it, it's a small difference, but it's a key difference, lest we think that singing is the only thing that we do uh, as an act of worship. But Paul uh, Having concluded chapter 11 with this song of praise, he now appeals to uh, Christians in general, the body of Christ, to worship God in another way. Not just in singing, but also with uh, the presentation of consecrated lives uh, as well as the renewal uh, of our minds. And so if you're taking notes this morning after you've written my superbly clever title, uh, I encourage you to write just a, a few other things down that might help you uh, organize this, these few ver couple verses uh, this morning. Uh, you might note this, that we worship God together through the presentation of consecrated lives. That's what we're going to see in chapter 12, verse 1 that we worship God together through the presentation of consecrated lives. Paul says in chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore. And I think this therefore is, uh, is one of those words that looks backwards. And I think, yes, Paul's looking back to chapter 11. I think... He's saying, everything that I said in chapter 11, based on all of that, therefore I appeal to you. But I think he's going back to all he said in Romans 9 through 11, even back 
everything that he said in the book of Romans to this point, for this is the, the hinge of the book of Romans. Uh, Romans chapter 12 begins Paul's introduction of imperative heavy text where he is commanding us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to live in such a way, to speak in such a way, to, to do in such a way. Uh, up to this point, there's, there's really only been a, a couple, a few imperatives uh, mixed in with lots of indicative verbs, verbs that, that tell us the truth about who God is and the truth about who we are. Uh, but chapter 12 is really the hinge. And I think Paul is saying, based on everything that I've said in Romans 1 through 11, I appeal to you. Uh, he is begging them. Uh, Paul knows that he has no place to force them to do what he wants them to do or what he thinks they ought to do. And he appeals, he begs. Uh, I think it's a, a similar nature that um, faithful, healthy pastors have towards their congregation. I can't force you, we as elders can't force you to do anything. But on, on, on the truth of God's Word, um, in accordance with the Spirit, we often appeal to you, urge you, beg you. And, and I want you to hear that type of relationship from Paul to his readers. Up to this point, he's um, called them, even in the passage I just read in, in chapter 11, he, there was this, this you and this they this you Gentiles and this they Jews. There's been, he's been speaking about this division between these two different groups of people who have been united together as one uh, in Christ Jesus through repentance and faith. And, and as they've been united in Christ Jesus, they've been adopted as sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. Uh, which makes them then brothers and sisters. And so Paul starts Romans chapter 12 not demanding and forcing his subjects, but appealing to, urging, begging his brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father to live in this new way, to sing songs of praise, yes, but to live radically different lives. And he appeals to us. This is why I started with that uh, illustration from R.C. Sproul's um, class and being a professor. He appeals to his brothers and sisters and having Paul's word here now, his appeal would be the same to us as brothers and sisters in Christ, though we have lived generations after the Apostle Paul. He appeals to us by the mercies of God. Having received the mercy of God, Paul is appealing to us, begging us, urging us to live in such a way. And so whatever is going to follow, we need to realize that it's not uh, our strength that is going to bring this about. 
our strength, our mind, uh, our hope is not is what's going to fuel us to be able to do this. Only when we look back to the Lord and, and we remember the mercy that we have received, when we remember the holiness of God and the sinfulness of mankind and the fact that God has brought us together through His one and only Son, Jesus Christ our Savior. When we remember the mercy that we have received, it, it will be enough to fuel um, us to desire to live in this way. Whenever you have lost that desire to live for the Lord, to wake up early and spend time with the Lord, when you have lost that desire to call out in prayer to the God of all creation, when you have lost that desire to spend time with the people of God regularly, uh, yes, many of us would have encouraging words. Many of us could come alongside you and, and you know, pull you along and, and, and encourage you. But let me just encourage you what Paul encourages his readers is to look back to God. Look back to the mercy that you have received. Let not your response to God's mercy be to neglect or to stiff arm or to follow your own path, but to follow the Lord, to follow His path. The mercy of God is the root and the foundation for whatever Paul is about to say to us in, in the following verses. And so we need to remember that. We need to hold fast to that. This mercy, John Stott says, the gospel is precisely God's mercy to inexcusable and undeserving sinners in giving His Son to die for them, in justifying them by faith, in sending them His life-giving Spirit and making them His children. This is the mercy. This is the Gospel that we have received. Titus chapter 3, verse 5 says, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the renewal of the Holy Spirit through the washing of regeneration. This is what God has done for us. This is our foundation for whatever follows. And what follows is uh, this charge, this appeal to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is, Paul says, your spiritual act of worship. The key here is this presentation of our bodies as a living sacrifice. And it's in the aorist tense here in the Greek, which we don't have in the English, and so it's often more difficult to translate these verbs, but what this verb carries is this idea of an action whose effect goes on and on and on. This presentation of our bodies once and for all, over and over and over to the Lord. And he tells us how 
how we're to do that, that we're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, immediately in Paul's reader's mind, they're thinking of the sacrificial system. They're thinking of the offering of animal sacrifices for, uh, in faith for the forgiveness of their sins. Uh, I joked yesterday at our um, support of the YMCA event uh, a healthy kids day that our booth sovereignly by the grace of God got positioned right next to the barbecue trailer and so all afternoon long we're smelling the barbecue and some complained that their hair was going to smell like barbecue afterwards uh, to which I thought that was a great blessing uh, but I uh, that smell um, makes me think of barbecue and restaurants and eating good meals. To those reading this, in Paul's day and age, that smell would have made them think of sacrifice. Uh, the, the burning of animal flesh would have brought to their mind this uh, sinfulness of their own hearts being atoned for by uh, the blood being shed of an animal. This is where their minds would have gone when they hear Paul saying, present your bodies, not an animal body as a sacrifice uh, to be killed for the forgiveness of your sins. No, Paul, uh, he understands what Christ has done. Paul was a good Jew. He himself had offered sacrifices. And then one day, on the road to Damascus, he met Jesus Christ who gave his life and gave his own body as the final sacrifice for sins. The, the ultimate sacrifice, which all of those Old Testament sacrifices pointed to and were done in faith looking forward to. Uh, Paul met Jesus Christ, uh, the ultimate sacrifice for his sins. And so he believed in Jesus Christ. He was forgiven of his sins. His sins were atoned for. Paul understood that. Paul has explained that for 11 chapters. And so what Paul is not saying is present your bodies to God so that your sins can be atoned for. Remember the order here. By the mercies of God, having received the mercies of God for the forgiveness of your sins through faith in Jesus, now, because Jesus offered His life on the cross for you, you now present your body as a living sacrifice for Him as an act of worship. You see, this is not something that's to be done in legalism or any work to earn salvation. This is an act of worship done because we've been saved as Christians. We've received the mercy of God, therefore we're going to present our bodies as living sacrifices to the Lord as our act of worship. This is Paul's appeal to us. This is Paul's urging us, his begging us to live in, in such a way. And while we haven't lived at, at a period of time where sacrifice uh, has been offered, we can remember our Old Testament well. 
We could go back and uh, read from Leviticus chapters 1 through 3 that help us get uh, the, the type of seriousness and the type of uh, life that we're to be living when Paul says in Romans chapter 12, 1, presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Again, Paul knows he can't live a perfectly holy life. He can't live a life on his own that's one day going to be acceptable to God. But he knows that because Christ did live a perfect and holy life, a life that was totally acceptable to God and was willing to die on the cross in the place of sinners, all who repent of their sins and believe in Christ, the Bible says, are given Christ's holiness and righteousness. They're given uh, because Christ's offering was accepted by God, our lives are now accepted by God. But, but just listen to this language in Leviticus chapter 3 that would have been in their minds remembering this sacrificial system. The opening verses to Leviticus. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. And listen to verse 3. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. Holy. Different. Set apart. Consecrated. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord. Now we know we couldn't do that on our own and Christ did that for us. Therefore, having received the mercies of God, having had our sins atoned for and forgiven, we now live our lives. We don't die for Jesus. We may be called to die. We may die through persecution one day, but we are to live lives of sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Consecrated, set apart, different is what those words are trying to get at. A life that's different from the one that you lived before you put your faith in Jesus. A life that's different from the world around you regarding those who don't believe in Jesus. If someone were to look at your life and to inspect your life, would they say that it's holy and acceptable to God? Maybe not perfect, but definitely consecrated, set apart, different from the way you used to live and different from the way that the world around you who doesn't believe in Jesus is living? It ought to. And Paul is appealing to us, brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm appealing to you that this is the way we ought to live. That we ought to present our bodies, the whole of who we are, as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual act of worship. 
This isn't the first time that Paul has commanded this idea of presenting our bodies to the Lord. In Romans chapter 6, verse 13, Paul says this, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But, Paul says, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Christian, to what are you presenting your bodies to day after day, hour after hour, minute after minute? Is there some time during the week when you often present your bodies, your members, not to the Lord, to things that wouldn't honor the Lord, to things that wouldn't be holy and acceptable to the Lord? Paul's saying, don't. Don't present your bodies to those things that you used to present your bodies to. Don't live in the way that you used to live. Don't live in the way that the world lives. Present your bodies to the Lord as those who have received mercy, to those who have been brought from death to life. Present your bodies in that way. Paul would go on in a couple verses later in Romans 6, verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone or to anything as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. This call to present our bodies as living sacrifices, uh, yeah, it carries a heavy weight, especially with that sacrificial system in the back of their minds. Uh, Paul is essentially saying, Christian, crawl up on the altar of God and let Him have His way with you. Crawl up on the altar of God. But this is no different from what Jesus called His very disciples to. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then Jesus told His disciples, If anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Me. Taking up your cross... Presenting your lives on the altar as a sacrifice. Very serious, heavy language, but important language. Language that uh, is the on, one of the only right responses to having received the mercy of God. Yes, one in praise and in song, but one in living a life that honors our Maker one that is holy as He is holy. And so we need to consider that. We need to consider our lives. Is, is our, are our lives being lived in this way? Are we living lives that would be characterized as holy and acceptable to God? When Paul is speaking of presenting our bodies... He's not simply talking about something inward. 
as if this is something simply between you and God, for our bodies are seen, they're external. He's getting at the whole of oneself and saying this isn't just a private commitment between you and God. This is something that's to be seen in our everyday lives. John Stott says that no worship is pleasing to God which is purely inward, abstract, and mystical. It must express itself in concrete acts of service performed by our bodies. This is what living a life, presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice looks like. But Paul doesn't leave it there. He goes another step to show us what this will look like in in verse 2. Having this appeal to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, he helps us in verse 2 not only that um, we should worship God together through the presentation of consecrated lives, but also through the transformation of renewed minds. That's the second thing I want you to note in Chapter 12, verse 2, not only the consecration of our lives, but the transformation of renewed minds. And Paul gives us two commands here, a negative and a positive, a not and a do. It starts with the not in verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may be able to discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. He starts with a do not. Uh, Do not be conformed by this world. Uh, This uh, idea, I think, is illustrated well with what this word means. It has the idea of uh, being molded um, or being um, stamped by a, a pattern. You can imagine kids and adults who have played with Play-Doh and you take a, a lump of Play-Doh and you put it in your hand and you squeeze that Play-Doh or you, you take your hand and you press down or you take a cookie cutter and you, you cut out, you conform the Play-Doh to your hand's Form or to the form of that, that cookie cutter. And, and Paul is using a tense where he's saying, stop doing that. Sometimes there's negative commands in the Bible that, that say, don't begin to do this. But this is a command that says, stop doing this as if it's being done by those, and it had been done for a long time by those who have put their faith in Jesus. And I trust you fall into my similar uh, faults that for many years and still allow myself to be conformed by the patterns of this world. I allow the world to squeeze me and, and, and make me look more like the world than I look like, like the Lord. That's the illustration that Paul is is trying to get across to us. And and it's a simple command to understand, but it's not an easy one to live out. It's, It's fairly clear 
Do not be conformed by the world. Don't let the world conform you to its uh, ways. Don't let the world conform you to its thoughts. Don't let the world conform you to treasure what it treasures. Don't let the world conform you uh, to think you need to look like what they say you need to look like. It's fairly straightforward, but it's so hard to do. We're so tempted to care more, more about what one another thinks of us than what the Lord thinks of us. We have habits and patterns uh, because of years of living in a sinful body with our sinful nature uh, that we've yet to break. And so it's easy for the world to, or to be conformed by the world, but Paul, again, is appealing to us to present our bodies and and to present our bodies we have to stop being conformed by the patterns of this world and he says uh, emphatically of this world the world in which we live right here and right now what so often we fall into uh, when we're considering the world around us and we're looking to the world around us is we either fall into maybe one of two camps, one of comparison or one of competition. And we want to compare ourselves to others around us, uh, sometimes thinking we're better than, which we need to be humbled of, but other times we're comparing ourselves, well, we don't match up, so I need to do this, that, and the other, so I compare well to others in this world. And Paul's saying, don't. Don't compare yourselves to the things of this world. There's another we need to be comparing ourselves to, which the Old and the New Testament say, be holy as He is holy. There's also this other idea of competition. And Paul, Paul is saying, don't be conformed to this world to think that you need to compete with this world. We're living for another life, uh, another kingdom that is to come when we die or when, and when Christ returns. We're not to be living simply for this world. And so Paul says, stop valuing what this world va- values. Stop living for uh, treasures here on this earth uh, that will be in heaven the pavement on which we walk. Stop living for these things here in this world and being conformed to this world and start, he says, the second command, second part of this, start being transformed by the renewal of your mind. Start being transformed by the renewing of your mind. You're speaking of the same idea here, this either being conformed from the outside in like a a lump of play-doh or being transformed from the inside out and there's a radical difference the world um, conformed us or even transformed us from the inside out when we were by nature children of wrath and had a sinful nature. Our our hearts were dead. But we were made alive by the mercies of God. We were given His very Spirit, and so we have 
His presence in us, and so we no longer are going to be conformed even from the outside in, but we have the opportunity to be transformed from the inside out, not by that divine spark that is in you or this, that, or the other, but by God Himself who resides in all who have repented and believed from the inside out. This word is only uh, elsewhere used regarding Jesus's transfiguration. Uh, it, it's the, a word that you and your elementary school children will know from their um, biology class when learning about caterpillars and butterflies and kids. When a caterpillar goes from being, uh, well, when, when the caterpillar turns into a butterfly, it goes through what? Metamorphosis. There's your word. There's your Greek word right there. Uh, this transformation, th that word is used of Jesus in the Gospels uh, when Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and he went up onto the mountainside. And when he got there, both Moses and Elijah appeared as well to the disciples, uh, to which Peter thought, this is great. We've got Moses and Elijah and Jesus. I'll build three tents for you and we can camp. Let's hang out. And Peter put Jesus in the same camp as Moses and Elijah, to which Jesus' response in that moment was to metamorpho, transfigure, transform himself, and just show a glimpse of who he really was. And it said that he shined with glory in that moment. And so Peter realized he had made a big mistake. He had put Jesus in the same camp as Moses and Elijah when Jesus was in a camp all to himself. He was God. He was the Son of God. And he showed himself just a glimpse of who he was. And it was in that moment um, that, that Peter recognized the error of his ways. Well, Paul is now telling us in the same way to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That we need to allow God to transform us. This is why Paul says in another place, the, the only other place this word is used, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, he says that, and we with we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is Spirit. Peter, or Peter understood that on the mountain. Paul understood that. He writes to us about this in both of these places. And he commands us to stop being conformed by the world around us and to begin to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. The, and the renewing of our mind comes from several sources. One he spoke to in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, that is the Spirit of God who has been given to us that we need to be renewed day by day, by the Spirit of God. Uh, we need to stop being conformed by the world and spend some time considering 
um, what the Spirit has for us that day. We've been given such a great gift, and he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world, uh, it says in God's Word. And so we need to take some time day by day um, walking by the Spirit, as Paul encouraged us to in Romans chapter 8, not by the flesh, by the ways of this world. We need to consider what it means to be renewed day by day by the Spirit who has been given to us. We also need to be renewed day by day by not only the Spirit of God, but the Word of God. The Word of God renews us, for it is the very breath of God, according to 2 Timothy 3.16, that it's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, according to Hebrews 4.12, that there's no other book that will be able to do what this book can do for you. And I heard testimony from one of you that after reading the same thing that you've read for decades was refreshing to your soul even this week. Why? Because it's God's Word. It renews us day by day. If you want to present your bodies as a living sacrifice to the God, not only do you have to stop being conformed by the world, you have to start renewing your mind by the Spirit of God, by the Word of God, and with the help of the people of God. God has given us so many gifts of His grace in the Spirit, in the Word, and in the people of God. Why would we not take advantage of one another to help us be renewed day by day so that we would be formed, transformed more and more into the image of our Creator. I can't tell you how often I am spurred on by you uh, to be more like Christ Jesus when I see you living for Jesus in ways that I aspire to live for Jesus. Uh, Or when I'm down or struggling and reach out for help, how I'm encouraged by you. Christian, how much time in your day, in your morning, in your day, in your week is given to thoughts, reflections um, that, that more conform you to this world rather than time given to being transformed by the renewing of your mind? Just consider, just between you and the Lord, what of your day? How much of the time of your day is given to being renewed in your mind by the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and with the people of God? And we could, probably more of God's that you could add to that versus things of this world, uh, the aspirations of the world, what the world is doing on, on social media, Uh, what's happening around the world on the news. Those things are not sinful in and of themselves. But if they're out of proportion, then we're definitely being conformed more to the patterns of this world than we're being transformed by the renewing of our mind. We ought to be be renewed and transformed uh, in our minds more in proportion than we give to our time in the world. We're not to abandon the world 
I mean, even our church name, The Fields, uh, from Matthew chapter 13, verse 38, says that we're to be in the world, but we're not to be conformed by the world. You're to be in the world, but not of the world, John 17 says. And so we need to consider that. Are we being transformed by the renewing of our minds? And then Paul tells us why we're to do this in closing. Why? That by testing, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Remember in verse 1 when it said to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, and your thought in your mind, well, what does that look like? I don't, I know some of what that looks like according to God's word and his commands to do not and do, but I don't know exactly what all of that is for each and every one of us as individuals. What does it look like for you to present your lives, your bodies as a living sacrifice? It looks a little bit different than what I, uh, how I present my body to the Lord as a living sacrifice. The Lord has called me to do certain things that He may not have called you to do. So I don't know exactly what that looks like for you, but He calls us to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. So how do you know what that looks like? How do you know what that looks like? Don't be conformed by the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you'll know what is holy and acceptable to God. You see how he uses that language? The same language. Present your bodies holy and acceptable to God. How? Don't be conformed, but be transformed so that you'll know through the testing and discernment what it is to be holy and acceptable to God at your home in your workplace, in your family, with your gifts, with your history. And when we do that, what we're going to see next week is that we all do that some the same way according to the commands of God, but some in different ways. And when we do it in the different ways that the Lord shows us as we're not being conformed and being renewed, we become the diverse body of Christ. All of us with different gifts. All of us with, with different abilities. All of us with different pasts. All of us with different present opportunities. All of us with different futures. And we're to use those gifts to build up the body. That's what he's going to tell us in a little bit. So what, what is our response to the mercy of God? Yes, it's a song of praise. But it goes beyond that to be presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord. Not being conformed by the world, but being transformed by the Spirit of God, by the Word of God, by the people of God, so we, that we know what the will of God is for our lives. We can become so accustomed with the mercy of God that we almost expect it. And we, sometimes we just expect that when we receive the mercy of God, that God is all of a sudden going to make us perfect Jesus-like human beings. But that doesn't happen. There is a process of sanctification that Paul's getting at here, that there is 
work to be done, an offering to be made of our very lives so that we grow more and more into the image of Jesus Christ until that day when we breathe our last breath here on this earth or when Christ returns and we are ultimately glorified to look like Christ uh, more than we've ever looked like before. But for right now, in view of God's mercy, Christian, having been brought from death to life, having been forgiven of your sins, every single one of them, knowing that you've been justified and can stand before God holy and acceptable to Him and to be able to spend eternity with Him, why would you not, why would we not want to spend this short time here on this earth living for His honor and His praise knowing that we'll be spending all eternity with Him forever? This is practice for the future. This is training ground for what we're going to be doing in all eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, there, there won't need, we won't have to stop be, being conformed by the world when we're with God in the new heavens and the earth. We won't have to be transformed day by day any longer. We'll have been there. This is that training ground. This is that opportunity having experienced the mercy of God that we didn't lay down our lives for Him. But I wonder if, if you've yet to receive that mercy of God. I wonder, maybe you are here this morning and you don't know what it's like uh, to have received the mercy of God, the forgiveness of your sins. You, you don't know what that is like to have received that as a gift, to have repented of your sins and simply believed in Jesus who died in your place and rose from the dead conquering sin and death. And so instead, you're, you're trying to maybe do these things to earn God's mercy, to earn God's love and forgiveness. And Paul has spent chapter after chapter after chapter up to this point telling us that we can't earn it, that we don't deserve it, and yet he's given it to all who repent and believe freely as a gift. And he's given us all who repent and believe his mercy, not giving you what you deserve. And this morning, as Paul makes his appeal, his appeal predominantly to Christians who have received the mercy of God, I too want to appeal to those of you who have yet to receive the mercy of God. Most of us have been in that place and know what it feels like to be living a life having not experienced the mercy of God. It's heavy. It's weighty. It's scary thinking about you dying or Christ returning. And I want to encourage you this morning. I want to appeal to you like Paul appeals to you uh, that you would respond to the mercy that is offered to all in repentance and faith. And then go and present your lives, as we've talked about this morning, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to Him. Not being conformed 
to the world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you would hear Jesus' words to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him all of the days of your life. Would you pray with me? Would you just take a moment in in response to God's word? If you're not a Christian and you're here this morning and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have yet to receive the mercy of God through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ who died and rose from the dead, would you spend this time confessing your sin, confessing your faith in Jesus Christ. Ask Him to save you. Ask Him to shower you with His mercies that are never-ending. Ask Him to give you the gift of His grace as He gives you His Spirit to bring you from death to life. Christian, would you spend some moments this morning confessing how you have not been presenting your bodies to Him as living sacrifices, but to the world? Confessing ways that you've allowed yourself to be conformed more to this world than to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And commit yourself in the power of the Holy Spirit in accordance with with the Word of God and with the help of the people of God to be transformed more today than you were yesterday, more this week than you were last week, more this year than you were last year. Would you spend some time just committing yourself, confessing your sin before the Lord? Father, what mercy we have received in the person and work of Jesus Christ through His sinless life, sacrificial death, victorious resurrection. Jesus, we thank You for living the life that we couldn't live and dying the death that we deserve so that we could experience the mercy of Your Heavenly Father, knowing that You took the punishment for us in our place. Lord, may our response to your mercy be songs of praise here in this moment. But as we leave this place, may it be in a life that is consecrated to you and in a mind that is renewed by you day by day. Lord, help us individually as Christians, but together as a church Uh, grow more and more into the image of Christ, that we as a church might display more of who you are to the world around us. God, we need your help in this. We know that this is impossible apart from you. And so we ask for you to show us the power of your Spirit in us to see these things come to fruition. And God, as you hear our praise on our lips, know that we aim 
to not just sing praise, but to live praise and worship to you this week. In Jesus' name, we ask and pray. Amen.